0: From Front Street Shipyard, a mid-coast main boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay. Offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. Support for WERU also comes from Bruce Parley Incorporated. Specializing in custom-built staircases and also fine-finished carpentry on yachts, trolleys, et cetera, since 1998. In Trenton at four seven nine four two six nine 4269 or brparley at gmail.com.
1: It's 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Both talk with your hosts, Alan Sprague, and Mike Joyce is up next.
2: That's our friend Schooner Fair piping in Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, all around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your crusty anchors Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. We barge in on the second Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. and it's a call-in show, as I mentioned. I'll tell you the number right off the very beginning, in case you'd like to join in the conversation today. We have no particular direction to go in. The call-in number is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight.
3: Crusty bar dinners. Crusty
2: right. bar dinners. Yep. I suppose it'll do this morning. <laughs> Fresh out of the barnacle. <laughs>
3: Yeah, as we like to say, uh splish and splash, not as funny as click and clack. Um tried to uh share well, that share that joke with somebody on the computer the other day and, and it spell corrected it back to splash and splash. Splash um, and splash yes. Yeah. Splish,
2: splish has been deleted.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh so anyway, boat talk humor kinda of tenuous and that's before you even computerize it. Um we are happy to be here this morning and open to uh whatever happens, we're gonna talk uh some more uh, Ongoing uh, new mission on Boat Talk to uh, try to uh, uh, communicate better about the climate change issue that has finally just whacked me upside the head. I've had a great realization. I'm trying to share it with you. Um, Also... We showed up in a uh, regional boating magazine a little while ago. Points East
2: magazine is, uh yes, been around for quite a while, and I, I was actually perusing through some old boat talks, and I was listening to one from January 2004, and we mentioned Poist, Points East magazine that, in that show, that many years ago.
3: Yeah, kind of a uh, nice boating uh, magazine. It uh, circulates up and down the East Coast, a uh, good part of it anyway, and... They have a columnist, a monthly columnist named Dave Roper. Dave wrote a imaginary column saying, uh, you know, always like car talk and stuff. Wondered why there wasn't like wife talk and house talk and baby talk and boat talk. And uh, so then he concocted a uh, fictitious radio show with the Shackle brothers, uh, Clevis and Pinhead, I think they were. Hmm. And they take a call from a lady who wants to buy a yacht and take her and her hair dryer to Tahiti, I think, and, uh, tries to answer her questions and and made a column out of it. Um, you know, good enough, uh. Next month, somebody writes in and says, you damn fool, there already is a Boat Talk. It's up to WERU in Blue Hill, Maine, and, and uh, you know, check her out. So, We're coming
2: up on year 15 now.
3: Oh, man. And so I got back a hold him, and I explained to him that we didn't start the thing, but Alan and I are fairly lucky to have inherited Boat Talk. Oh,
2: yeah. It's it's great fun. and The the pay is tremendous.
3: It, it We'll come back to that in a minute. It actually is, but... Um, when we started this here community radio station, we were uh, um, coming up on our 30th birthday next May 1st. Mm-hmm. And fairly early on, uh, I think it was Paul Brayton who hauls boats uh, over in Brooklyn, he uh, might have mentioned to somebody that we've got to get some boat stuff on there. So uh, I believe it was Kathy Melio uh, got a hold of uh, some boat people over by Wooden Boat Magazine and Maynard Bray and Joel White did uh, several editions of Boat Talk over a couple of years. Two or three times, I believe, yeah. Yeah. And they uh, were asked to do it, though. It wasn't their idea.
2: And that you could tell they were a little bit uncomfortable at it, too, because, you know, they were perfectly... Wonderful boat builders. Knowledgeable. Let's start there. Yes,
3: that's for sure. They got us on that uh, um, just for starters.
2: Not really experienced in radio, a little bit uncomfortable. It is kind of a strange thing when you're doing it for the first time, as they were.
3: That's why we're here. (laughs) 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 So, anyway, Um, yeah. Maynard uh, Bray and Joel White did boat talk a few times and it it was very well received and but they they didn't uh, ask to be there and and they did it uh gamely but you know uh so a few years later uh somebody came to us I think it was Kathy Melio again and and said uh why don't you guys do some boat talk it was early in the summer and they needed something to fill in with and all right, that'd yeah. be fun. It was May, right? Yeah, we well, were saying, oh yeah, it's a good season to start boat talk. Yeah, so we'll do one, and uh, maybe we'll do uh, you know, a summer's worth. And mm-hmm. and it was fairly fun and and fairly well received for whatever reason. And they said, well, then you I guys got to do this all the time.
2: Yeah, along came September,
3: and, we I was, and and here's here's the joke. I was aghast. I was appalled. I was shocked and uh, uh, very up, uh, uh, you know, scared. Uh, What will we talk about in February, I said, and one of the silliest things I've about ever said, because if we ever run out of things to talk about, we ain't looking at it, right? Right. It is a treasure to be able to be a boat person and call anybody on the planet, get a hold of anybody on the planet and say, would you like to talk to us about your boat? Issues on our radio program, your naval issues, and, and you can talk to anybody and it's... Yeah.
2: It, well, just anybody can call, too, not even planning a call. Just anybody can call in at 1-866-625-9378. Um, and that's that's our treasure right there.
3: Um, and such a treasure that a lot of other... Um, I'm always fascinated by how different people say uh, solve the problem of the same job at work. Okay? There's other people that host... Uh, radio programs at this community radio station, based on their personal expertises. There actually was a baby talk. Now it's called Family Radio Forum. Um, uh, there is a house uh, uh, program, okay, and uh, not called House Talk, but yep. still. We
2: used to have baby talk too. Speaking back to Dave Roper.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, community uh, issues and stuff, and uh, health issues always on a Wednesday. Here's the point: um, all these people come in with scripts. They think about it for a month, and they're very uh, worried about getting an hour's worth of information out there gracefully. And they come in with a script, and they start off by saying – invariably they read it, say, good morning, my name is.
2: My name is. Yeah,
3: and you don't have to read that. So we don't have a script, and we play it a little looser around here. A lot of people will uh, not open the phones to a certain uh, period in the program when it's – Hopefully planned out. Uh, if the phone rings, we are curious enough to answer it. So, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Any old time, we'll interrupt ourselves. We can also—I
2: um, forget to mention—we um, can receive emails almost uh, instantaneously too if you use our email address, which is simply boat talk. At gmail.com.
3: It's you can. I was trying to email some people before the oh. program now, and last program was the first time I ever opened up a computer and tried to touch it while I was on the radio. And I Well, didn't. that's
2: because your computer has been out of the country and it's well. been being vetted.
3: <laughs> well, that's the next story. So uh, Dave Roper uh, and Points East Magazine wrote that uh, uh, Boat Talk column, and then somebody wrote in the next month saying there already is a Boat Talk letter to the editor, and it occurred to me immediately we needed to talk to Dave on Boat Talk. Yep. So, I've been trying to email back and forth, but I was out of the country last week and my computer tried to protect me from being hacked from outside of the country and wouldn't let me take my emails for, for till I got a literally a nuclear elect- electrical, electrical technologist to uh, fix it for me. Yeah. Um, got they back were... <laughs> in touch with people and then returned to America where my, my computer now again said, uh, Now you're in a different country, and we ain't <laughs> sure either. Um, protected me again and, and may or may not communicate with these people and may or may not get a call at the, later on in the program. If we do, we do. If we don't, we'll talk to anybody else. We'll so. talk to
2: anybody. 1-866-625-9378.
3: Yeah. And uh, again, we take it as it comes, and it's just a joy. So uh, Boat Talk, uh, what we're doing this morning on a snowy morning in yeah, East yeah. Orleans, Maine. Some of it's not so joyous, though.
2: We're going to... Go over into a subject that you were just talking about that we frequently visit.
3: Well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a uh, have a degree with in biology with honors from Saint Francis uh, Xavier University in Nova Scotia. I'm a scientist by training. I tend towards uh, the scientific method. The hypothesis is open, and the question can always, uh, you know, uh, stand more data and looking at, but. We can figure things out if we look at them in an open, rational way. Um, And the climate change thing I've always believed in just seems to me to be kind of a no-brainer. But uh, lately I've I've, uh, been looking into it and just the fact that – the fact that came to me uh, has just changed my understanding of it tremendously and that is this – Not only is carbon dioxide a bad thing to put up into the atmosphere and affects the uh, weather on this planet quite strongly, um, the key fact that I hadn't quite downloaded is this. It stays up there. If we, for instance, limit some kinds of pollution, heavy metals that came out of your exhaust and now trapped in your catalytic converter... They'll go up and they fall back down. The carbon dioxide stays up there forever. Think of it as kind of a nuclear fuel that can't be disposed of after it's been burnt. Mm. It's gone up there. And so the damage essentially has been done. The sweet spot of burning carbon fuels was between 1950 and right now. Well, most of my lifetime. Let's
2: go to the phone, and run? Yeah. This, this, I know this is going to take a long time, so we'll have to yeah. do this in pieces. Let's go to Jim in Pittsfield. Good morning, Jim.
4: Uh, good morning. Um, I just thought, since this is Boat Talk, it uh, probably isn't of great interest to lots of people, but nonetheless, I, this, I read on the internet today the, the very sad news that a great designer, Ian Ferrier, passed away unexpectedly this weekend. Most people probably don't know his name, but he was famous for his small trimarans. And uh, for those of us who love trimarans and sail them, it's a terrible loss to our small community. He was uh, currently building the F-22 in his factory in New Zealand, and as I said, it's just a very sad loss to all boaters for someone who is such a genius, and I just wanted to put that out on the airwaves.
2: How do, uh, you, how do you spell his name?
4: F-A-R-R-I-E-R.
3: Oh, Ian Farrier.
4: Ian Ferrier. Yeah,
3: I was going to point out, Jim, he's a foreigner.
4: He's a foreigner.
3: And them uh, multi-hull people often are.
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he actually... Built his first boats, the F twenty seven in California. So, hmm. and his F twenty seven was inducted into the Sailing Hall of Fame. So,
3: Jim, I've uh, delivered maybe three hundred odd boats. I've never done a multi haul I always want to. Uh, what? Why? Why do you like them so much? Um,
4: I guess fast is fun. They're they are just they're a sports car and they're stable. They make you feel safe and secure. You don't have to worry about uh, leaning over at 20 or 25 degrees or even 15 degrees, and a small boat can take you places that are uh, just a lot more quickly than you can in a monohull, and uh, um, it's just hard to step back and and uh go slow i guess
3: but a safe sports car is a pretty cool thing i have on my uh nightstand right now um uh capsize steve callahan and i'm trying to think of yep. the uh, other author he wrote it with you know the story uh yep. don't you i think i do yeah australian uh fellows maybe new zealanders they're down that way anyway uh Fellow owned the boat, took off with two other fellows he didn't know all that well. They didn't get along all that well. The guy that owned the boat, a bit of a jerk. And uh, somewhere in there, the boat tipped upside down and it was pretty stable upside down, too. And they spent uh, basically 90 days or so, uh, quite a long time 121 days, some, something like that, living in the boat upside down. Now, think of the furniture in your house upside down. Yep. <laughs> all the cupboards and stuff was survivable, but. Um, not not all that comfortable. And the the interesting part to me of that story was the people uh, broke down, and
2: that was uh, a very people story. yes. yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, which is often uh, a good part of it. But yeah, I'd, I'd still uh, like to try the sports car, multi-hull, uh, any old time, but
2: Yeah. Well, it's uh, sorry to hear about that passing, and appreciate your your giving us that information.
3: Yeah. Well. Uh,
4: I keep my boat in Belfast. You can come sailing with me.
3: <laughs> and uh around Belfast sometimes, what 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 kind of boat we got down there, Jim?
4: I have a, a Ferrier F eighty two. It's uh small, it's uh eight point two meters, twenty six feet eleven. Nice. Oh. And uh and
3: it's it's a trimaran.
4: It's a trimaran. Yeah.
3: Huh? I can't think. Of how. I haven't quite noticed that, but uh, perhaps because you're obviously such a heretic, and I only exactly. see real boats. You know, you yeah, know.
4: yeah. We're not. We're not real sailors. We just. Yeah. We just hide out there in the, in
3: the moorings. And well, you're obviously sailors, but you're from an alternative-minded tribe. That uh, again, if we can't get our head around you, it's you easier yeah, just. You don't to, see you know, a lot of
2: multi-hulls up here.
3: Yeah.
4: No, you don't actually in in Penobscot Bay. Um, um, there's literally just a handful.
3: Jim, is it an issue with lobster traps if we have extra rudders and, and more hulls and width to dodge things with in main waters?
4: No, I don't have extra rudders. I just have a central rudder, and and the, uh, the floats don't pick up a lobster trap at all. So there's no there's no more problem with a uh, with a. Mm -hmm. A trimaran than there is with a monohull.
3: You power it with an outboard. I power it
4: with an outboard.
3: Yeah. Yeah. How fast will the thing go, Jim?
4: The record on my boat, and mine is not a racing boat, is sixteen one.
2: Sixteen one for a twenty six footer is getting along there. That's
3: (laughs) That's uh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a
4: little faster than my stomach can handle.
3: Yeah. Uh, Well, good thing you think that fast, and and uh, you know. Uh, sorry to hear about Mr. Ferry there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, thank okay. you. Thank you for calling, Jim. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. I can relate one quick trimaran story. I lived aboard a, a trimaran in the west coast of Florida, little well, down in the Keys actually, but for a short while, and we got to take it out into the Gulf side of Florida where it's quite shallow, but being a, a trimaran, it only drew about. Two and a half feet with the board down, and you could look down into the water on that side and see all the coral stuff flying by you as you as you sailed over. It's one of those visual images that sticks with you for the rest of your life
3: um i actually uh have, have kind of misspoke i do know about catamarans i do have a catamaran on the lake i live on uh, it's an aquacat 12 and a half feet we long. probably
2: should ex- explain the difference between a catamaran and a trimaran for people who don't
3: well um know, know boat stuff a normal sailboat has one hull a mono hull right a catamaran has two hulls uh I'm thinking of the little... A biomaran, I guess you would call them. And a, a trimaran has three hulls, a central hull with two outriggers on either side, yep. one of which, if you're uh, going to the wind, is up in the air, not not totally down in the water. Um, I don't know if they make uh, four fives and, and sixes and eights, I, but I doubt it. Not, you know, There's also proas. Proas are a, uh, tri- uh, a catamaran, a bimaran, two hulls. Where the windward hull depends on which way the boat is going. It's pointy on both ends, and it changes directions when it tacks.
2: You, you can walk the forestay back and forth, right? Yeah.
3: So you can literally tack and and head off one direction. Uh, what was the bow is now the stern, and, and now that outrigger is to weather instead of the leeward. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they go – RC varsi I it's, don't know how to...
2: ancient South Pacific design.
3: Again, uh, we don't have to think these things up. They just come naturally to people over time, I guess, yeah. So, Boat Talk, you never know. And, yeah, uh, you never know. Yeah, we were, again, um, I'm trying to uh, uh, communicate about the global warming idea that's uh, smucked me in the head and build on it, which is that that carbon dioxide does not fall out of the sky. It's up there like a magnifying glass. It ain't coming down.
2: Well, yeah, geologic time. It'll probably
3: change, but uh, not in our time. And it is geologic time. It's going to stay up there longer than civilization has been on Earth. And the damage has been done. The question is how bad... Um, is it going to be, and what are we going to add into the problem? Um, again, uh, where does this add up? We've uh, been explaining uh, the armed lifeboat theory. Uh, Amitav Gosh, an Indian writer, um, advances this one that uh, and Naomi Klein, whose book I'm about to read from too, uh, makes a similar um, argument. Uh, he puts it in the armed lifeboat she says it will end up with red and green zones. The good people live in the green zones. The rest mm-hmm. of us live in the red zones and private contractors will police up the problems into black sites and dystopia mm-hmm. is uh, you know, possibly the future. If uh, In no other way, this will be the determinant of all the news in the future when you get right down to it. The environment, uh, you can't do much if uh, you're on fire or being flooded at the present time. Um, you know and uh, the good news is you won't drive uh, you won't uh, drown from the gradual ocean rise you'll be probably messed up from a bad storm way before the water licks at your toes and and takes its time to come up over your nose so um, and the problem again is that stuff is up there it ain't coming down the damage has been done the question is how bad uh, into the future here so come along at the library this book here um, Naomi Klein, the author of No Logo and This Changes Everything, a uh, well-known liberal commentator, I I know a little bit about her, never paid all that much attention. You can hear her on uh, Democracy Now! and other programs on WERU, I think, sometimes. But this book is brand new. It's called No Is Not Enough, Resisting Trump's Shock Politics and Winning the World We Need. I found this book pretty profound and um, basically about read the thing twice, and in it is a nice chapter called The Climate Clock Strikes Midnight, and I've kind of heavily edited this, but I'd like to read you a little bit from it um, because it makes a pretty profound point that I'm trying to share here. She starts by... um, Mentioning some of the other crises we're having nowadays, the health uh, crisis, uh, nationalism, racism, uh, immigration, uh, you know, the sexual assault thing, uh, whether you're drinking water, either even as clean to, uh, you know, to drink. And after uh, going on about that, she says, um, and again, I've edited this uh, a fair bit, but it's all from the chapter of Naomi Klein's No Book, The Climate, Clock Strikes Midnight. Climate change isn't more important than any of these other issues, but it does have a different relationship to time. When the politics of climate change go wrong, and they are very, very wrong right now, we don't get to try it again in four years. Because in four years, the earth will have radically changed by all the gases emitted in the interim. And our chances of averting an irreversible catastrophe will have shrunk. This may sound alarmist, but I have interviewed the leading scientists in the world on this question, and the research says that it's simply a neutral description of reality. The window during which there is time to lower emissions sufficiently to avoid truly catastrophic warming is closing rapidly. And if we keep failing to lower emissions, if we keep failing to kickstart the transition in earnest away from fossil fuels to an economy based on renewables – if we keep dodging the question of wasteful consumption and the quest for more and more bigger and bigger, there won't be opportunities to fail better. Nearly everything is moving faster than the climate modeling projected, including the Arctic sea lo- sea ice loss, the ice sheet collapse, the ocean warming, sea level rise, and coral bleaching. The next time voters in countries around the world go to the polls, more sea ice will have melted, more coastal land will have been lost and More species will have disappeared for good. These are irreversible changes, and we don't get a do-over. We have so far far warmed the planet by just one degree Celsius, and from that, we are already seeing dramatic results. The mass coral die-off, balmy Arctic weather leading to severe ice loss, the breaking apart of Antarctic ice sheets. If we continue on our current pollution trajectory... We are set to warm the planet by four to six degrees Celsius. The climate scientist and emissions expert Kevin Anderson says that four degrees of warming is, quote, incompatible with any reasonable characterization of an organized, equitable, and civilized global community. That is why governments are coming together in Paris, and they're and they're doing it right today. Um, it's in the news today, and they've drawn up an agreement to make their best efforts get off this dangerous course and to try to limit warming to, quote, well below 2 degrees. They're aiming for a degree and a half. Pursuing efforts to keep it below uh, 1.5 degrees, the high end of that temperature target represents a double the warming we've already experienced and is no by no means safe. According to a September 2016, 2016 study by... Uh, Washington-based think tank, Oil Change International. If governments want a solid chance of keeping temperature increases below 2 degrees Celsius, then all, all of the new and undeveloped fossil fuel reserves need to stay in the ground. Problem is, even before Trump, no major economy was doing what was required. They were all still trying to have it all ways. You know, introducing some solid green policies, but then approving... Expanded fossil fuel extraction and new pipelines. It's like eating a lot of salad and a lot of junk food at the same time and expecting to lose weight. And again, we're reading from No by Naomi Klein here, brand new out. The biggest threat that the oil industry faces is the demand for real climate change being voiced by people around the world and the mountain consensus that taking the crisis seriously means a halt on new fossil fuel projects. That prospect strikes terror into the heart of fossil fuel executives and the government of uh, especially petro-states like Russia because it means that trillions of dollars of proven reserves, currently those reserves prop up share prices. That could all become worthless overnight. And uh, this is what's sometimes referred to as the, quote, carbon bubble. And by 2016, it was already beginning to deflate. Think of Trump as the guy running to the rescue with a bicycle pump and signaling to the industry that he's going to fill the bubble for a couple more years with toxic air. How? Easy. No climate change. Make it disappear. We can see it all playing out with a kind of absurd clarity. On day one, the White House website was cleansed of many of the references to climate change. There are plans to cut the NASA program, use a satellite to accumulate basic data on how the Earth is changing, including disappearing glaciers and rising seas. The White House's budget director, Mick Mulvaney, was pretty blunt about all of this. Regarding the question as to climate change, I think the president was fairly straightforward. We're not spending money on that anymore. We consider it to be a waste of your money to go out and do that.
2: So can we hold that for a second yeah. there? We, we have another phone call. We have Kate in Brooklyn. Good morning, Kate.
1: Good morning, guys. Thanks for waiting. You have a great program. Um, Just one thought on what Mike's going on about with um, climate change, which I'm um, convinced as well, but your thought that we don't have time and that if we wait four years to try to do something, four more years have gone by. The passage of time is on my mind with this um, issue because in the winter of... Nineteen ninety two, um, I uh, went to a um, presentation by the author Bill McKibben in Lake Placid, New York, in nineteen ninety two, and this was his topic. And since then, Bill McKibben has gone on to form the organization Three Fifty dot org. Scientists had determined that. Uh, the status quo could hold as long as um parts per million carbon were at 350 so that explains the name of that organization i think about 2 years ago we passed 350 so the passage of time um isn't our friend and um more time has gone by more water under the bridge and uh I'm glad that you're talking about it, Mike, and that as a scientist, you've been struck by these facts. But every day that goes by, um, we're losing more time. And uh, Bill McKibben has uh, written and spoken extensively about the importance of uh, carbon fuels that exist, that are still out there, the absolute importance that they stay in the ground. Because if all of that fuel comes out and, as you said, goes into the atmosphere where it's going to stay, that will be all she wrote for all of us. So it really is a very, very important topic. And uh, so I would recommend anybody who wants to get active or do something to Google 350.org and see what's going on uh, with that organization. And there are others as well. But uh, since you're talking about Naomi Klein and her writing, uh, Bill McKibben's been writing about this topic for uh, 30-some-odd years. So it's good that new authors are doing it as well. But thanks for the time, and thanks for
3: a great show.
2: Thank you very much, Kate. I believe the carbon levels are up to uh, close to four now.
3: And, Kate, just obviously reinforcing what I'm um, uh, reading from Naomi Klein's book, Uh, No Is Not Enough Here. And what she uh, also um, said is what's coming up in the uh, last couple of uh, edited uh, pages that I got here and explaining how all these trillions of dollars of proven reserves are part of the fundamental um, economic structure of these countries, of these companies, and therefore our countries, okay? There are people right now that think a – Economic collapse, uh, crisis, let's put it that way, is possible, if not more than possible. Uh, The United States Senate and uh, the great leader is messing with the tax structure right now in a way that may bankrupt the country. And if it does, well, you know, uh, great. And, uh, you know, this either happens or it doesn't. But the fact is that we're we're talking about uh, not only science of uh, molecules but something a little more ephemeral that's money. Okay, And as I was just saying, we have all these proven reserves that are based on uh, – go to contribute to companies' bottom lines, okay? And the Canadian tar sands, great, great example. Um, from a little sub subheading in the uh, chapter that we're reading, the climate uh, clock strikes midnight, Naomi Klein, uh, price is everything, okay? It's all about price, and here's what she says about that. Prices, oil prices, began to crash in 2014. With Brent crude, the global benchmark for oil, it plummeted from $100 a barrel to $50 in just six months, and the price has been hovering around $55 a barrel ever since. ExxonMobil has been forced to write off nearly 3.5 million barrels of tar sand oil because the market considered these reserves no longer worth extracting At current oil prices, deep water drilling is also at a low. at these prices. For the big oil companies, particularly those that gambled on the price of oil staying high, all of this has been a disaster. And no oil major has suffered worse than ExxonMobil. When prices were high, with Rex Tillerson at the helm, the company broke the record for the highest corporate profits ever recorded in the United States. They earned $45 billion in 2012. Compare that to 2016, when Exxon's profits fell well shy of eight billion. That's more than an 80 percent drop in profit in just four years. For many years, and uh, from uh, so so, where does this head? Is uh, the question, and why? Uh, again, the armed lifeboat, the red red gro- uh, green zone paradigm with. Uh, you know, the private contractors policing you up into black sites. Well, from the subheading, what conservatives understand about global warming and liberals don't. Naomi Klein again. For many years, I wondered why some people were so determined to deny global warming. It's strange at first glance. Why would you work so hard to deny the scientific facts that have been affirmed by 97% of climate scientists? Facts whose effects were... Uh, We see all around us with more confirmation in the news we consume every day. And what I found out is that when hardcore conservatives deny climate change, they're not just protecting trillions in wealth that are threatened by climate action. They're also defending something much more uh, precious to them. That's the entire ideological project called neoliberalism, which holds that the market is always right. Regulation is always right. Private is good and public is bad. Taxes that support public services are the worst thing of all. Under the neoliberal worldview, governments exist in order to create the optimal conditions for private interest to maximize their profits and their wealth based on the theory that profits and economic growth that will follow will benefit everybody in the trickle-down from the top eventually. And if that doesn't work and stubborn inequity remain or worse as they invariably do, then according to this worldview, that must be the personal failings of the individuals and the communities that are suffering. Neoliberalism is a very profitable set of ideas and what really is at its core is a rationale for greed. And as a great uh, American political philosopher says one time, I'm sorry I forget his name, it's hard to dress up greed with anything more... more, uh, Noble sometimes, you know. And again, reading to you from Naomi Klein's brand-new book, No is Not Enough, Resisting Trump Shock Politics and the Winning of the World We Need. Well, here
2: here is uh, some news from the other side. Out just today from Bloomberg, um, the article says, the Trump administration is preparing to unveil as soon as this week an expansive – offshore oil plan that would open the door to selling new rights in the Atlantic waters that's Florida to Maine
3: yeah, Um, Bloomberg's uh, in the news again today, he's um, talking about, and again they're having a meeting in Paris today Um, President uh, Macron of France and the uh, head of the World Bank have got together uh, all kinds of people uh, investment people and, and 50 heads of state among others And um, they are having a two-day emergency uh, climate summit in Paris right now. Um, Trump was not invited, but they say he is highly present. And according to Michael Bloomberg, uh, environmentalists owe Trump a debt of gratitude for, quote, acting as a rallying cry. Oh, boy. If that will possibly be enough.
2: Rallying. Well... I'm not sure if this is a rally, but we do have a phone call from Tom down in either the Virgin Islands or Stuben. Good morning, Tom. (laughs) Welcome to the Virgin. Welcome to Boat Talk.
0: Yeah, not the no. That was misunderstood. Okay, I'm actually in Vermont on the west
2: coast. Okay, I'm I'm having trouble seeing through the glass here to the sign. So it's Vermont. Yeah, no, I'm on the west coast of
0: (laughs)
3: New England. and I th- four point four degrees north latitude as well. And you know. I thought it was a call from a virgin in Stuben and didn't know, you know, <laughs> didn't want to say well, anything. Well, I about. also have
0: a house. We should Which is not unlike our country in that uh, I bought it as a dumpster building, you know, and work and have been working on it.
2: Oh yeah, aren't those but, fun?
0: Uh, so uh, my comment is uh, just this: that. Uh, I suspect the real illusion that's going on in our lives is that the U.S. government, never mind the world economy, is actually bankrupt and that we're not able or willing or to confront that fact, that it has always been bankrupt from the point of view that it never really examined natural consequences or natural resources. So, but in fact, you know, based upon our world economy right now, where Uber is the – is the I don't mean Uber. Uber is the world's largest taxi, but the world's largest bank is Bitcoin. It's all pretend. <laughs> you know, so the problem that we've got is that we want to believe in things that are not actually real, and nature is real. So how do we get ourselves back to trusting ourselves instead of governments, that cannot possibly deliver anything but assurances.
3: What's my question. Huh? I keep going back to what's the purpose of the government to start with? Well, it presides safety,
0: right? So we want that safety. We want somebody to re- – in fact, if you look at Obama, what did he do? He reassured us. He actually <coughs> is a member of the – was a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. What was that about? Well, that's the same collection of people that is the Rodhams and the Bushes, which are people who just want the status quo of making money. Unfortunately, that's not an economy that's realistic. The real economy is a natural economy. How do you get to that? Well, you have to go back to I won't buy things that don't last. I won't uh, participate in in falsities that do not support life. It's pretty much, you know, that simple. I have to stop putting my money, you know, in places where it will not be respected. Um, I have to stop putting my faith in places that don't deserve it. So how do I get back to that personal economy of providing my own food, of buying things that last, of working With people who are actually our only real resource. This is about awareness. How do I get my awareness into that place? That's about what I have to say.
3: I think we agreed on the same purpose of the government, which I I take to be it's to support the vested interest, and the little people are not the, you know, they've become in some some uh, ways the, you know, the burden of the government, but it's not their, it's not what they're all. All for and about and uh, also uh, a question I like to ask is who lives the best lives on the planet uh, who has the best government uh, uh, who has, who, whose government provides the best lifestyles for them on the planet? What do you think about that Tom yeah no, well, uh, who I, who know, would that who what? would that be i 'm asking who who lives the highest uh, statistical lifestyles on on the planet?
0: This is a problem too. Statistics will prove anything you want them to prove. So what you really have to do is look at who smiles. Now, if you go to Haiti, you'll find a place that has been under the thumb gotcha. of capitalism, of of you know, lifestyle uh, all along. Why? Because they were the first slave colony that rejected colonialism. Okay, but guess what? They know there. They, first of all, they know about irony. But second of all, they know that smiling—you know—an interaction among—you know—their community is more important than any of that. So, you know, they've got their priorities in the right in the right direction, not the wrong direction. It's not what I have, so I am.
3: Well, here's what I'm saying is that um, the. Uh Most successful lifestyles on earth, I I take it to be the northern social democracies, and they have – they're highly taxed. they provided a good society for their people. Everything else falls after that as opposed to trying to make whoever is the best and richest happy and see what falls after that. Um, And
0: I think – but I think the model of having as opposed to being is at the bottom of all of this. It's materialism. It's an illusion. That you can, you know, have things in order to be happy. So there's always the cry to have, but never the cry to be. How do I get back to being that, you know, which I can approve of? When do I lose my moral compass? And having things is part of that moral compass. The more I have, the more I need to protect, the less I
3: know about what my real resources are. Hey, it was good talking to you this morning. Glad you called
2: yeah, good discussion. I think this is something we'll
3: carry on in the freezer. And you. Speaking, Thank you, of, speaking of good discussion, we got uh, I think Peter Neal on the phone, don't we?
2: Yes. Good morning,
3: Peter. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, good morning. What's up, uh, Peter? Uh, I'm not sure we're receiving you perfectly here, but uh, just to explain, Peter is the host of World Ocean Radio and the oh uh, director of the whole uh, opera World Ocean observatory operation and a more knowledgeable commenter on the world ocean certainly than we are. Are you there, Peter? Nope. I think we've
2: just lost Peter entirely. We'll have to wait for him to get to a better spot. So um, one thing related to uh, climate change is this interesting article that uh, comes from uh, G-Captain from September. It says, thunderstorms directly above two of the world's busiest shipping lanes are significantly more powerful than storms in areas of the ocean where ships don't travel. This is according to a new University of Washington research. The difference in lightning activity can't be explained by changes in the weather according to the author's studies. Who conclude that aerosol particles emitted from the ship's exhaust are changing how storm clouds form ocean, <laughs> over the ocean? I
3: was going to say scientists are going to have to ask how the ships transform the. Oh, good. Well,
2: that's you know something you can see pretty easily now with all the satellite observations that are going on. And yeah, put two and two together.
3: Um, here's another one of the points I wanted to make. There's, uh, again, uh, this is up in the news right now, and an ongoing point I've been trying to add to this climate change discussion is the argument, the counter-argument of no, it isn't, ain't a counter-argument, okay? Um, it's like the Monty Python uh, argument uh, shop joke, you know? Uh, is to, is not, is not a proper oh, right, argument yeah. when you get right down to yes, it. Yes, it
2: is. No, it's not.
3: Yeah, and you can throw fog at anything, whether it is uh, doubt of uh, who did what. They're trying to elect a senator in Alabama today who uh, maybe acted inappropriately. Others acquit, and And, again, uh, blame is something that's kind of ephemeral. And, and uh, also uh, it's a good trick to smear people with. Riding in the truck yesterday in the middle of the day, Rush Limbaugh on the radio, and here's what he says um, – California is quite ablaze right now. Some of the biggest uh, uh, wildfires uh, for a long time and burning fuel that hasn't been burned forever. Wildfires are natural. We suppress them. We kind of mess with the environment. What he says is these climate change wackos who believe that climate change causes fire – they believe that climate change causes fires just like they believe it causes hurricanes. And when he's doing this, he is falsely defining – uh, his enemies. And uh, in fact, uh, climate change theory does not believe that these are the causes of the fires and the hurricanes, but in fact they do augment them and add fuel. That is that is undeniable. But um, the essence of his argument is not fact-based. It's a personal attack. And so what he gets to is, so these climate change wackos, as you call them, think that the fires have been caused by climate change, so the fires happening make climate change wackos happy. Okay? We're happy, happy. that California yeah. is on fire and that the new normal promised is a chaos makes us happy. Uh-huh. Okay? Because then we can inflict our no fuel live in a cave with no candles agenda on uh, actual people want to, you know. And this is Illogic. Oh, but it's, again, uh, look at how it's being done. It's kind of a blame the messenger thing, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's classic, and it contains no facts. And it's beautiful in its essence. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> well, that's because, what he does because yeah. of its effectiveness. And look around you. Who's the president of the United States? Thinks it's a uh,
2: well let's Chinese go. hoax. Let's go to uh, Reedy in Camden. I think. Please, we really. <laughs> Ringing up the phones. Good morning, Reedy.
5: Um, Hi, it's Beedy. Oh, Um, sorry. I've got quite a lot to say, and you just got to fires, which was where I was going. Um, I I sort of have a question for you guys who are out in the water more than I am. I'm more garden and forest walking and swimming in the river. But um, what's happening with the wind uh, in your observation? Because I'm observing a new windiness. It's um, more velocity, but more than that, it's more turbulence. And I see this, like, especially driving down a corridor of forest or swimming in a river, I see, like, one tree will be just just knocking its top off and next to them it will be another tree that's completely still. So that's the turbulence piece of this. Um, I also see that after a good solid rain where the garden is nice and comfortable and the forest is too you get one of these winds in the next few days and it's all crackly dry in the forest and it's uh, very dry for the the young plants in the garden and then when I hear the, the forest fires out west I'm thinking they've got more of this more turbulent wind that dries and then also kind of undercuts and brings a fire into a new place. Now, what are you seeing out on the water? Are you feeling this, or are you just kind of used to a lot of difference so it doesn't really strike you? Because I think we're going to have more forest fires here, too, with the wind like this, and it affects growing food.
3: I don't know of a different quality of the wind, honestly. Uh, We take it as it comes. 20 is always plenty, and and we don't like it gusty and changey. Um... But it's not e-
5: more gusty because there's basically there's more energy in the atmosphere, more heat, and we, which is energy. And I think this is
2: changing the nature of our winds.
3: That's an excellent question. B. That is a question. Um, I remember,
2: well, you probably remember, too, about six weeks ago, we had a, a big windstorm, one-day windstorm uh, that was later termed by the meteorologists as a cy- cyclone bomb. A term that I'd never heard of before, but it turns out that that was a real majorological logical uh, term originally occurring in Japan, but according to the article I read that cyclone bomb bombs, like the one we had here, are actually increasing.
3: So you may be correct. There was an unusual number of tornadoes in Maine this summer. That's true, too. Yeah, good times. Thank you, Beatty. Th- thanks, we got Beatty. We got people on the phone. Got to yeah, keep moving here.
2: Go to Peter in Bangor. Good morning, Peter. Uh, Good morning, guys. Uh, Four quick
6: points. One, with regard to conservative ideology uh, and the market's always right. Well, the market is already right and has discounted uh, carbon uh, energy and fuels. um, The stocks and the uh, reserves and the trade uh, of oil is already discounted to the point where you have people essentially reacting to consequences that the market has already told them, and they're just terrified of the reality of the answer. That's number one. Number two, um, one thing that we can all do individually, of course, is make changes in our own life, but politically we have a tremendous opportunity very soon in the uh, election for uh, representative in the 2nd District. I attended a forum of four... Democratic candidates uh, the other day, and every one of them spoke climate change as a key part of their uh, ideas about government and and what government priorities ought to be. Uh, And that is in direct contradiction of Bruce Poliquin, who is simply a um, a go-along guy and uh, really needs to be uh, sent home. Three... Uh, We talk always about the ocean in terms of the manifestation of the problem, and that's very true in ocean warming and sea level rise and all that. But, four, we should also start thinking about the ocean as the solution to the problem. And it is, in fact, that. Uh, It is uh, a heat pump, and that heat pump can work to our advantage. Uh, It's a food source that can work to our advantage. Uh, It's a... uh, Energy source that can reap to our advantage. So all of the talk that the Naomi Kleins uh, indulge us with is all good, all right, well written, and, and 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 most welcome. But we can see through the prism of boat talk that the ocean actually is a key part of how we would respond and adapt, mitigate, and invent our way out of this.
3: Wow, Peter, thank you so much for having that this morning. Peter Neal, of course, World Ocean Radio. We're lucky World to have Ocean Peter World Ocean Observatory, here. yeah. Got to hang out with them last weekend, and uh, uh, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Well, okay. We are, uh, again, i got one more thing to add on to okay. the uh, uh, fog, uh, throw crap at it issue, and, and it comes from uh, yesterday. Uh, Breitbart Radio. Uh, Daily News does a radio program on Sirius XM every day. And yesterday, they were talking about climate change and the Pope. Um, and here is a uh, short bit of a, uh edited exchange between Tom Williams and, and Steve Bannon. Tom Williams, uh, this Pope is excited about big lefty causes like this because he's really on the left of, of a lefty cause, you know. And Steve Bannon says... Why would the pope be like that? Um, I mean the pope is like embracing pseudoscience and like another religion that's like paganism when he's with these climate change wackos. Why would the pope want to do that? Tom Williams. My worst case scenario, my worst read is the pope is behind this particularly because of his dislike of the first world and primarily of his dislike of the United States of America. Donald Trump was right when he said this is aimed at our economy this is aimed to take America down and once again there's not a fact in sight here this is a personal ad hominem attack that does nothing to address the actual issue and if you cannot perhaps judge judge the basis uh, rational basis of an argument look at how the arguments are being made and and the substance of it, and again, uh, just not cool, not helpful, and frightfully effective at putting up crap and, and inhibiting um, rational thought and progress. Hmm.
2: yeah, rational thought well, uh, we 're almost up to the end of the boat talk for for this month, and we are coming up on a holiday season too. So I had one quick little inspiration I'd like to throw out there. Our friend Paul Molyneux, uh has a new book out entitled doryman 's Reflection." I haven't read it yet, but uh, it's gotten some very good reviews. Paul is a, a great writer and uh, has been fishing for quite a while, too, so he can tell the story from the from the uh, actual experience. So there's uh, something to think about. The Doryman's Reflection by Paul Molino. Uh
3: Paul's uh, no a Paul, bit of a dory nut. Uh, uh, again, uh, keep it coming, another uh, uh this is a clipping from last month. Exxon quietly researching hundreds of green projects. One of the world's biggest oil companies is is working on hundreds of low-carbon energy projects, from algae engineered to bloom into biofuels and cells that turn emissions into electricity. The work by ExxonMobil includes research on environmental-friendly technologies in five to ten key areas. They have been doing climate research since the early 70s. They know better. They've been obfuscating, and they're hedging their bets on the other side, yep, too. Are, so, are hedging their bets. Um, you know, what you're going to think, how you going to act, uh, keep an open mind anyway, I suppose.
2: Hmm. Well, I can tell by uh, Schooner Fair coming in in the background here, where. Up against it again, sailed through another hour. Didn't quite see how it was going to go today,
3: but it went quick. It always does. (laughs) We had a lot of
2: good good calls today.
3: Yeah, who knows. uh, We like to do it anyway. Thank you for uh, Boat Talk, and uh, we're back to the music.
2: uh. Rich Hillsinger is up next with On the wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and all around this wet world at WERU.org.
0: Support for WERU comes from our...